drove northeast out of Kingston, Ontario, saddled the shores of the St. Lawrence through Quebec and turned south into New Brunswick just as the river starts to widen into its impressive gulf. I welcomed the deciduous sparts of bright green and the varied contours of the New Brunswick forestscape after not having breached the city limits of Kingston for several months. We were enticed to the Atlantic coast by the annual congregation of excited and energetic folks that is CHESS, the Canadian History and Environment Summer School organized and funded by NICHE, the Network in Canadian History and Environment. This year, the multidisciplinary group met in St. Andrews by the Sea, a stunningly beautiful town, finally and fully revealed as the fog lifted Sunday afternoon after a weekend of misted faces. As graduate students quite fully consumed by our passion for our research, we could not help but explore the archives, historic architectures, and historic landscapes and waterways as we traveled. Fredericton, St. John, Musquash, St. Andrews, and eventually on to Nova Scotia and Halifax. Kirsten is sifting through the final details of her doctoral dissertation, which explores the intersections of British military culture, ideas and practices of ornithology across the 19th century British Empire. And I am only in the confused state of piecing together my dissertation proposal. For someone trying to sort out the intricacies of my own methodological approach, adventuring through the archives, the woods, and learning from Kirsten's amazing and fervorous approach to her fieldwork are all vitally important to me. Though quite topically different, both of our research engages with similar ideas. Translocal ecologies, as explored by Laura Cameron. Fluvial intimacies, central to the work of Hugh Raffles. And the notion of worldly practice, one of Donna Haraway's provocative ways of calling us to interrogate the ways in which humans engage with their environments. And together, Kirsten and I come to embrace the synergistic qualities of collaborative research as we hit the road together and we embraced the serendipities we encountered as we moved. In Canada, they were stuffing with moss, like the earlier, earlier collecting. Right. Someone's in his museum catalog, but he probably had about 4,000, it looks like, in his, in his museum. And we've been able to reconstruct about 50% of his original collection. So this is, this is material that he started to collect probably in the 1820s. We just had it all cleaned, actually, one of our conservation technicians oh, just wow. gone through yeah, the entire gorgeous. thing and, and cleaned it all off. Uh, so it, specimens that had these original numbers on them, uh, we can match with his catalog. There are a few specimens that we still have. They have these little sort of white starburst labels on mm -hmm. them down here. Oh, yeah. And they seem to be pretty consistent on Gesner. So, mm -hmm. so we probably have virtually all his collection. There's just a few little things that are really irritating that are missing, like uh, he had a piece of the Weston meteorite was one of the first meteorites identified in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and uh, no idea. It's not number and I can't identify it as a meteorite. There's probably a little chunk about this big. It may be upstairs. Uh, he also had the very first specimens collected from Maguasha, a UNESCO World Heritage Site for fish fossils, mm -hmm. and they were in his appendix, but they're not here. So if you go through the entire collection, they've been lost or misplaced or, okay. you know, taken. <laughs> Probably not taken because, uh, um, but the, but we have specimens on both sides of the of that collection in this appendix. It'd be really interesting to hear both of these. Oh wow! Well, that's, that's, Check this out. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah Holy mackerel! Yeah, those are recent, but uh, <laughs> those are this is, this is Borman. Okay, but know. these are. Or Gesner, I mean, this is Gesner. That's one of the, that's a Gesner number. So, so would he have collect, collected this uh, around here? Came from Dalhousie. Oh, Dalhousie. Um, collection of 
brachiopods that just came in that we're still dealing with. So at one point you would have had the fish alcohol collection? No. Well, the Natural History Society may have had some fish, some amphibians. There wasn't really anybody in the in that group that were particularly interested in you know in fish. Yeah. Um, not so much in mammals. Of course, at that point the uh, you know the snap trap hadn't been invented for, for, for collecting these things. And, uh, yeah. But most interest was in plants and birds. Mm -hmm. So you know we have things like this is from the Natural History Society, the mechanics, the mechanics, terrestrial Institute. bias. No, no, no. <laughs> It's well, hard, the preservation. Well, well birds, the preservation. birds and plants, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, No, that, I, yeah. Not, that was just a, I'm rephrasing a friend, anyways. Well, there was, a, there was an interest in, in marine life. Um, Gadong had a real interest in, in, in marine life. Uh-huh. And I don't know, if, is that name familiar with? Sorry? Gadong? No. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Gadong had, had an interest in marine life, and they used to have um, uh, summer camps down along the coast and go dredging and collect all sorts of things. So. Mm -hmm. There was a lot. There was plenty of stuff collected, and there's there's an interest in terrestrial mollusks, um, and some of that stuff has uh, survived as well. So, um, yeah, so maybe we've got some of the old labels and things. Um, oh, there's some other Desmond material. What's this one here? The stuff in the U.S. Oh, U.S. Fish, fish Commission. Um, so. Yeah, there's a Gesner one there. Yeah. Where was the Fish Commission? This is material that's probably traded with the. Uh, there's, there's no date on it, yeah. but it's you know, probably late 1800s. It's yeah. probably material that was traded with the Natural History Society. Laura's going to label there. Laura. Yeah. Laura's vineyard. But that's one of Gesner's. That's one of Gesner's. That's a Gesner number yeah. there. Yeah. South Carolina. No, there's still lots of work to do, kind of tracking the movements of some of these, uh, some of these people. That's that really that helps in trying to reconstruct the uh, collections. Yeah, that made. that's what I've been doing with these officers, just choosing a few. Well, first of all, finding out if there were any birds that, in the collections, but chasing yeah. their movements and right. the species they collected and the people they networked along the way. Because yeah. Adams went off and became an expert on fossil elephants. Yeah, so yeah. Malta, you find a lot of fossils there. So we think that this is an old mill site. Was it called? What was it called? Lancaster Mills. Lancaster Mills. Owned by the Jessers. Who Arthur Jesser was, um, Henry Jesser is a famous British ornithologist who came over here to work in the family mill and collected many bird specimens, which are now housed at the Manchester Museum, and his brother as well, Arthur Gesser, was here and wrote, um, described the area, and now that manuscript is housed at the Library Archives uh, Canada, and we have that today, and we're trying to figure out where the mill was, and where the house, Ingleside Manor, where they lived, um, where that might have been. So the wharves must have been around here. Yeah, you'd have to get into, and that's where you could get into some, what, historical GIS? I don't know. Would it, Old maps, they're at um, the archives in Fredericton. But to um, figure out where the, uh, how the water levels have uh, yeah. changed, you know what I mean?
I came all the way down just <laughs> going back up again. So this is the Fort Point Lighthouse, built in 1855, and I'm going up to the top. Something interesting to see at the window. That's right. This is the Mersey? No. Oh, we could have <laughs> barely made it up. Okay, so this is uh, the Mersey River here that flows through the town of Liverpool. Just drove through the interior of Nova Scotia from the uh, Bay of Fundy side after getting off the Digby Ferry. And uh, a lot of um, active logging going on at the moment, but uh, the Mersey River has been used um, for uh, a long time as a as a transportation route, transportation route for a lot of logs. Um, there's my reflection. Hi. And uh, over here now we have today's pulp and paper mill. Um, but there's been a mill on this site since uh, shortly after the house uh, lighthouse was built, uh, apparently. Um, so. Uh, um, 1860s, 70s, um, but I'll have to uh, investigate that a bit further. And then we go up, uh, well, the rest of the Nova Scotian coast towards Halifax. And Halifax, here we come. The reason why I'm interested in the garrison libraries is because um, in the early 19th century there were a network of garrison libraries in uh, the Mediterranean, in Malta, Gibraltar, Quebec, Halifax, and that's where officers could pay membership and use the books um, there, and there are many natural history books. And it was also a site where they would bring their collections and actually uh, some of the libraries would have had stuffed birds and natural history items in the actual library. So I'm interested in the Halifax library because when um, there was a garrison library in Corfu, when it was no longer part of the empire in the late 1860s, the collection came here to Halifax. Mm -hmm. So I just want to see what types of what, books came here. What remained intact? Or, yeah. yeah. My officers would have come to these libraries and mm -hmm. socialized and used the books as references. So I've been to the one in Gibraltar, which is still maintained and used, and uh, I managed to find all these bird folios from the early 19th century that they might have referred to, so it's pretty exciting. Well, what is a bird folio? <laughs> um, there were these large books with bird illustrations in them, and so the illustrations of the birds would basically almost be the same size. Mm -hmm. as the birds in real life, so mm -hmm. you could... And would the officers be doing these drawings, drawings themselves? Um, some of them would do some drawings in their field journals, but most of them, like Selby, um, John Gould, they were the main birdmen in Britain, and they published many bird folios. And they were used as reference guides for when officers would collect the bird, and then they would go and see the bird folio um, and 
they would have the actual specimen and try and compare mm -hmm. the ones that were illustrated. from Liverpool shared in the same fame and fortune, skimming about the world like great birds, usually with a Liverpool man on the weather side of the poop. As we leave the park, the red coat bids us farewell. <laughs> I can't <all> these things. <laughs> we can't.